Acts chapter 14 and just read a few verses as we begin this morning. Acts chapter 14, let's begin from verse 1. It says, And they came to pass in Iconium, they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. A long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, uh, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the, of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about, and there they preached the gospel. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word and spending time in your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we continue studying the book of Acts, that Lord, you would give us understanding of the passage before us. Lord, we pray that you would empower me through the Spirit now as I speak, that it be your words, that it be your thoughts. Lord, we would leave this place knowing that we've been in your presence. We will sing with me in all glory and praise unto you. We bless our time now around your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Now, we have, of course, been looking at Paul's first missionary journey. Okay? And so far, we've <clears throat> looked at the events in the, the first four major cities along the way. Okay? We sort of, as we followed his journey, we've stopped in each major city and looked at the events that take place. And um, we've done four of those major cities. We started in, of course, the city of Antioch. Okay? This is where the missionary journey began, in Antioch of Syria. Um, and it was there that they were called of God. Remember we talked about the fact that God had, by the Spirit, separated them unto the ministry. So they were called by the Spirit, called by God, and the church then decided to commission them and send them forth. The church recognized the call of God in their lives and sent them forth to the ministry. And from there they journeyed to the island of Cyprus. Okay, if you remember on Cyprus they went to the city of Paphos. And it was there that they first encountered opposition. It was from the sorcerer Bar-Jesus. Okay, he opposed them as they ministered to the governor of the islands. They left Paphos and they then went up to Perga on the mainland. Okay, we said it was up in Turkey. Okay, uh, it was there that John Mark left the ministry. Okay, we talked about John Mark last week, how he departed, how he left Barnabas and, and Paul, and he went back to Jerusalem. We looked at the fact that, you know, praise God, that wasn't the end for John Mark. We see the Lord restore him and use him mightily to his glory. And the final city that we looked at was the city of Antioch in Pisidia. Okay, we said there was two Antiochs mentioned in Acts. This is the second one, okay, in Pisidia. And it was here that Paul uh, preached his first sermon recorded for us in the book of Acts. Okay, I'm sure he preached in other locations. But this is the first one that's recorded for us in the book of Acts and we looked at his sermon we saw that you know he prepared the hearts of the people okay he took them through the history of the nation of Israel preparing them to hear the message that Christ was their Messiah and that he died was buried and rose again he applied the message by telling them that through Christ they could have their sins forgiven and be justified 
we finished last week by seeing the response and we we saw that this response was mixed you know there was some who accepted and there was many who rejected and so paul and barnabas were driven out of antioch and they leave they get back on the road and they travel to the two final major cities we want to look at okay we look at them this morning iconium and lystra okay so first of all this morning we come to the city of iconium and here we see the division iconium and the division we've read it already but it's verse 1 through to verse 7 now having been forced out of the city of antioch paul and barnabas you know they immediately get back on the road they immediately get back on the on the road in, in the ministry of the lord they don't quit they don't turn back they don't get discouraged they straight away get on the road they head to the next city the city of iconium and they continue the ministry there you know, immediately upon entering the city the first thing they do is they go to the synagogue it says there in verse one that it came to pass in iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the jews they head straight away for the synagogue just as they had in antioch okay first point of call was to go to the synagogue and preach the message there as i said last week you know this was a logical place for them to begin the work wasn't it you see in the synagogue you already had a ready-made crowd you had a a group of people who were there to hear the word of the Lord. That's what they were there for. They were there to study the scriptures and to learn from the scriptures. You had both Jews and you had Gentiles who feared God gathered in the synagogue. And so it's a, an ideal place to start a work, isn't it? You have a crowd ready to hear. And so this is what they do in Iconium. They head straight away for the synagogue. You know, verse 1 tells us that immediately they see a response. It says, and came to pass in Iconium that they both so they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? They've just left Antioch, you know, in a bit of discouragement, if you like, because they've been kicked out of the city and they enter into Iconium and what happens? They preach and there's an immediate response. You know, the Lord blesses their work. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they could have left Antioch in despair and discouragement, couldn't they? They could have left, you know, with their feeling really down you know we've been kicked out of the city we're being opposed they could have left in despair but they didn't you know they left rejoicing and they continued on and they faithfully served the lord in iconium and what does god do god rewards their faithfulness god blesses their ministry you know once again as we saw in the city of antioch not everyone accepts the message verse 2 says but the unbelieving jews stirred up the gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren you know the message of the gospel is always met with a mixed response we said that last week didn't we the message of the gospel is always met with a mixed response not everyone's going to believe not everyone's going to accept the message some will believe others will reject the reason for that is that men have a free will don't they have a free will men can choose to accept or reject so here we see the same thing there is a mixed response and these jews who reject the message they immediately seek to work against paul and barnabas they seek to stir up strife don't they it says there in verse 2 that they stirred up the gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren they basically turned the people against paul and barnabas now they started um, saying lies about Paul and Barnabas, sowing seeds of deceit and discourse, so the people turned against 
Paul and Barnabas and no longer listen. You know, we see Paul and Barnabas' response to this in verse 3. It says, Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't read in verse 3, Paul and Barnabas immediately turn tail and run. Paul and Barnabas didn't run. They didn't stop preaching because opposition came. No, what they did was they continued to boldly preach, didn't they? It says, long time therefore. They kept on doing it. They kept on preaching in the same place, in the same city. They kept on preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And, you know, despite the opposition, they continued the work and God blessed it. That's the point there in verse 3. You know, it says, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by the hands. God blessed their work and God also enabled them to do signs and wonders, to do miracles. We said it before, what was the purpose of those miracles? It was to confirm the truth of the message. And so God gave them miracles. God allowed them to, to do signs and wonders to confirm that what they're saying was true under the people they were ministering to. Verse 4 tells us the end result here. It says, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. The end result here is division. This city is divided. It's divided, if you like, down, down a line. You know, you've got one side, you've got those who support the apostles, and you've got those who support the Jews in standing against the apostles. And so there is division in the city, and the situation intensifies to the point where the lives of Paul and Barnabas are now threatened. In verse 5 we read, And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them. It intensifies to the point now where the people are you know, so enraged against them, they want to you know, kill them. They want to stone Paul and Barnabas. You know, once again, we see they're forced to flee the city. That's verse 6. They were aware of it and fled. Under Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. You know, their lives are now threatened. They're threatened with being stoned to death. And so what do they have to do? They have to flee. They have to flee the city of like uh, Iconium. You know, even though they were forced to flee here, you know, they had to flee both Antioch, didn't they, and Iconium. Even though they had to flee because of persecution, you know, we shouldn't somehow think that they were cowards afraid of dying for Christ. That's not what's happening here. They're not leaving because they're afraid to die. You know, we shouldn't also think that somehow their ministry was a failure. Rather, what happens here is that they, they had accomplished as much as God wanted them to in that place and it was now time to move on. It's basically God's way of moving them to the next city. Now, God's will wasn't for them to die. It wasn't for them to die as martyrs just yet. And so God now moves them on. They leave the city and they go to the next place of ministry. You know, Matthew chapter 10, verse 43, uh, 23, sorry, Christ told his disciples that this is what they were to do. Just go there, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 23, Christ said this to his disciples. He said, But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. 
Verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man to come. And Christ had instructed his disciples that when they were persecuted in a city to flee into another, to move on. You know, that's basically what Paul and Barnabas do here. They see it as the doors now closing, time to move on. Let's go to the next city. Let's continue the work. It wasn't they, that they were afraid to die for Christ, is that they knew it wasn't time to die for Christ. There was no need to be foolish here, was there? And to deliberately stay and sacrifice their lives. Time was, had come for them to move on to the next place of ministry. And that next place of ministry was the city of Lystra. And here we see the delusion. The city of Lystra and the delusion. In verse 8 through to verse 20, let's just read verse 6 and 7 again. It says, They were aware of it. And fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about, and there they preached the gospel. The next place of ministry, and indeed the last major city, okay, in the sense of Luke actually giving us details of what takes place in this city, the last major city on their journey before they return uh, back through the cities they've already visited is the city of Lystra. Lystra was in the Roman province of Galatia. Okay, it's about 28 kilometers southwest of Iconium. And this is the first of three visits that Paul makes to this city. On each of his missionary journeys, Paul comes back to the city of Lystra. On his second journey, he actually calls Timothy to go uh, with him to the work. Timothy's from this city. He's in Lystra. So this becomes a, a place of ministry for Paul over the years. But on this first visit, there are four responses that I want us to notice this morning to his ministry. There's four responses here. First of all, here we see the crippled man's response to the word. The crippled man's response to the word. Verse 8, it says, And there sat a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never have walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up on thy feet. And he leapt and walked. Now we're told here that as they enter into Lystra, they come across a man who is lame from birth. Now this man has been crippled all of his life. This is a condition that he's lived with. He's never known anything else. Now it means that he's probably a beggar, because in these days, you know, if you were a cripple, that's what you had to do to earn money. You had to beg. So he's been in this condition all his life. This is all he's ever known. He's helpless. He's physically powerless, unable to do anything to change his condition. You know, immediately we see a picture of all mankind, don't we? Lost, completely incapable of saving themselves, in need of someone else to rectify the problem. You know, this is the case with all the lame and sick in the Word of God, isn't it? We always see a picture of the unsaved. We see a picture of our condition without Christ. And the fact that we need God, we need Christ to do a miracle in us. And that's what we see here with this man. He's in a helpless situation. He's powerless. He's unable to do anything to save himself from this condition. You know, also here we're reminded of the lame man that Peter healed in the temple back in Acts chapter 3. Let's just turn back there. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. 
And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now these two men are, are, are very similar, aren't they? It's almost a very similar uh, situation recorded. One's with Peter coming across this lame man with John as they walk into the temple. This lame man from birth. He's been in this state his whole life and we know the rest of the story that Peter actually heals him and he goes walking and leaping. And here in now in Acts chapter 14, we have a very similar situation with this lame man that Paul comes across with Barnabas in the city of Lystra. Both men are in a very similar situation. We're told here in verse 9 that this lame man heard Paul speak. This is the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. This lame man hears Paul speak. You know, Paul's obviously either speaking to people about the Lord as he's walking through the city, or he's preaching, and the man hears. But either way, he hears Paul speaking about the Lord. You know, he does more, just he does more than just hear the message here. This man believes the message. He has faith in the words that Paul is speaking in in the Lord Jesus. That's who Paul's speaking about here. That's who Paul is talking about. This man believes the message. And we know this because at the end of verse 9, it says, And perceiving that he had faith. Paul perceives that this man has faith to be healed. Now, how did Paul see this man's faith? Faith is not something you can see, is it? How did he see this man's faith? Well, obviously, God gave him discernment, didn't he? God gave Paul discernment. God, through the Spirit, made Paul aware of the man and aware of the fact that the man was hearing and listening. God gave him this discernment. Why? So that he could minister to this man's need, meet this lame man's need on this day. And because of this man's faith, Paul then boldly says to him, Stand up and walk. Verse 10. It says, uh, we'll read verse 9 again. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to heal, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leapt and walked. Now Paul now, with authority, tells him to stand up. But he's not speaking with his own authority, is he? He's speaking in the authority of Christ, the, the power of Christ. It's in his name that Paul is speaking now, and God answers by healing this man. Verse 10 at the end there, it tells us that this man, just like the man at the temple, he gets up and he goes walking and leaping. We sing the song about the man at the temple, don't we? Peter and John went to pray, and the man went walking and leaping. Well, this man does the same thing. It says he walked and left. It's the same thing. He goes about walking and leaping, rejoicing in what's happened. Now, God worked a great miracle in the life of this crippled man here. But, you know, it came in response to the man's faith. It came in response to the man's faith to the message that was preached. Now, this is always how God's work, God works, isn't it? God responds, God acts in response to the faith of man. Now, you think about Naaman in the Old Testament. Naaman was healed when he obeyed in faith and dipped seven times in the Jordan River. He wasn't healed until he obeyed, until he acted in faith and did as he was asked to do. It's the same right throughout the Word of God, isn't it? It's when man acts in faith, God answers. God does a miracle. God does a work. 
same is true when it comes to our salvation, isn't it? It's when we admit our condition before God and we respond to the message in faith that God saves us, that God does the miracle. He doesn't do it before we respond in faith. It's after we respond in faith that God does a miracle and saves us. And so we see this crippled man's response here to the message is one of faith and God heals him, restores him to strength because of it. Secondly, here we see the crowd's response now to the crippled man. The crowd's response to the crippled man. Verse 11, it says, And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul, Mercurius, because he's the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the, under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Now we're told here now the response of the people. Now they see the, the crippled man healed. They see what Paul has done. And immediately what they do is they praise Paul and Barnabas as being gods. Now they thought Paul and Barnabas must have been their gods that they worshipped walking among them but their gods had come to visit them verse 11 it says that it says and when the people saw what Paul had done they lifted up their voices saying in the speech of Lyconia the gods had come down to us in the likeness of men they thought their gods had come down to walk among them to visit them you know to them this was the logical explanation you know it was obvious that a miracle had taken place They'd known this group of men all his life. And yet now he's walking. It was obvious a miracle had happened. And so in their pagan concept, the people believe this crippled man, you know, he was cursed by the gods. And so obviously if he's now healed, he must have been healed by the gods. So from a pagan uh, background, this is what they're thinking. This is what they're led to believe. Verse 12 tells us that they identify Barnabas as the god Jupiter and Paul they call Mercurius or Mercury. It says they call Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And Jupiter was the patron deity of the city and that's why we then read in verse 13 that the priest is going to lead the people in worship. It says in verse 13 there, um, then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. You know, the priest, he sees this as an opportunity to worship their God, their God who's now among them, as far as they are concerned, to appease the gods with worship. And so he, he wants to lead the people in sacrifice, sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. You know, as we look at the crowd's response here to the miracle, I think one truth is abundantly clear to us. And that is that miracles on their own do not save anyone. They don't produce conviction or even faith on their own. You see, miracles must always be accompanied by the truth, the gospel message. That's true right throughout the book of Acts, and we've seen that numerous times. When there was a miracle, it got people's attention, but that was so that the gospel could be preached. The miracle doesn't save anyone. You know, people say, if I saw those miracles, I'd believe. Well... No. These people saw the miracles. They didn't believe, did they? What, what was their response? Their response was to 
believe that Paul and Barnabas were their gods. Far from believing in God, they feared Barnabas and Paul. You see, the miracle simply got their attention. Paul and Barnabas now needed to direct their attention to the truth. You know, even today, you know, we must understand that you know, good deeds or charitable deeds on their own are not enough to turn people to the Lord. Now, we might not be able to do miracles like Paul and Barnabas did, but we can do charitable works, can't we? We can help those in need. But those are not enough to turn people to the Lord. They, you know, they might get people's attention, but they need the Word of God to get saved, don't they? We need to keep a balance, don't we? Understand that with those charitable deeds, we must always give the Word. Romans 10 verse 17, it says... For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how people get saved. It's not by charitable deeds. People get saved as they hear the word of God. It's the word of God that saves, not good deeds, and in this case, not miracles. It's the word of God. So we see now Paul's response to the crowd. Paul's response to the crowd, because you know Paul understood this. The attention of the people has been grasped, and now Paul responds by directing their attention to the Lord. Verse 14, it says, Which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you, that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things, things that are therein who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways nevertheless he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness with these sayings scarce restrained they the people and they had not done sacrifice sorry that they had not done sacrifice unto them as I said the miracle it got the crowd's attention didn't it they were all watching, they were all looking. But this attention wasn't the attention that Paul and Barnabas wanted. Their attention was in the wrong place, wasn't it? Paul and Barnabas didn't want to be worshipped as gods. They didn't want to steal the glory that belonged to God. So we find that Paul and Barnabas, they immediately rent their clothes and they run to stop the people. Verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out. Now, Paul and Barnabas, when they see this, they are greatly upset by this, aren't they? They are distressed by what they're seeing. They tear their clothes because this is blasphemy. Blasphemy for the people to call them gods and to worship them. And so they immediately run to put a stop to the wickedness before it gets out of hand. And then in verse 15 to 17... We see Paul and Barnabas, they oppose what the people are doing and they boldly teach the people concerning the truth. We see in verse 15 that they tell them the gods that they are worshipping are vanities. Says and, and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. This is a bold declaration, isn't it? It's a bold declaration. Basically, Paul stands up and he says, what you're doing, the, the idols you worship are vanities. They're empty. They're useless. 
They're worthless. Turn from these vanities unto God. It's a bold declaration. You know, these people are pagans. They're stooped in superstition. Stooped in idol worship. You know, that's clear from the fact that they immediately want to worship Paul and Barnabas, isn't it? How steeped in superstition this, this city really is. But Paul, with boldness, declares that their idols are useless. They're vanity. And he says what you need to do is turn from them and turn to the true and living God. He says, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. He says, turn from these useless gods, these ones who aren't real, and turn to the one true God. God of heaven. You know, from here, from this starting point, Paul then declares unto them the truth and he preaches unto them. You know, notice here, this message is very different from the one that he preached at Antioch to the Jews. You see, Paul doesn't start here with the Old Testament, does he? He doesn't give them an Old Testament history lesson. The reason is because he's talking to pagan Gentiles. And so instead, Paul starts with the witness of God in creation. At the end there, verse 15, he says, I preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. He declares unto them, he says, God, the living God, made heaven, earth, the sea, everything you see, God made it. Basically, he declares unto them, God is the creator. Then in verse 16 and 17, Paul points to the rain and the seasons as being God's handiwork. He says in verse 16, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He says God is the creator, the living God, the one true God. And then he points to the rain and the seasons. He says, they're God's blessings upon you. You see, the people of Lystra, they attributed these things to their false gods, didn't they? They attributed the rain and the, the seasons to their false gods, to Jupiter and to, to Mercury. But Paul, he makes it clear that these blessings are from the true God, the Creator who lives in heaven. He declares that these are a demonstration of God's power and God's love. You know, we refer to this as being natural or general revelation, the general revelation of God. You see, God has revealed himself to mankind in creation. He's there for all to see if they'll look for him, isn't he? He's revealed to us. If man will only look, they will see the handiwork of God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul speaks about this. Let's turn over there, Romans chapter 1. verse 19 says because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse you know Paul declares the fact that 
all mankind is without excuse. Why? Because God has revealed himself in creation. God is there for them to find, to see, general revelation. And if they will seek him, God promises to reveal himself unto them. And you know, this is the basis here of Paul's message to this city. He declares unto them that God is the creator. And he says, look, here's God's handiwork. Here's God at work. Verse 18, it tells us that you know, this was a barely enough, if you like, to stop the people. Okay, this is in verse 18. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. You know, they had a hard time stopping the people from offering sacrifice. But even but with these words, they were able to do it just. They were able to restrain them, able to stop them from doing this wickedness. You know, it makes sense that it was hard to stop the people because Paul and Barnabas are challenging the whole belief system of this city, aren't they? They're challenging their whole belief system. They believe that their gods are Jupiter and Mercury. They're challenging that. They're they're saying, no, they're, they're vanities. God is the one true God. But in the end, they're able to restrain the people from offering sacrifice. You know, that restraint doesn't last long. In verse 19, we're told the Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrive and stir the people up. Verse 19, it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, one minute the people are worshipping him as being God, their God Mercury, and the next minute they're stoning him to death. You know, this is the fickleness of people, isn't it? They turn immediately against Paul and they're now stoning him to death and they, they drag him out of the city supposing him to be dead. They think they killed him. They drag him out of the city and leave him there. And that's where we now see, lastly, the response of the disciples to Paul. The response of the disciples. In verse 20 we read, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now in verse 20 we learn that there are some disciples in Lystra. You see, there must have been some who believed, like the lame man, they believed the truth, they believed the message that was preached unto them, and so there is some disciples there. You know, for these new believers, this is a crisis situation, isn't it? You know, they've had these two men come and preach unto them this wonderful message that Christ died for them, was buried and rose again, and that through him they can have salvation. And they believe they've got saved, and now one of those preachers has been stoned and dragged out of the city. This is a crisis situation. You know, they are a minority, aren't they? They're a minority within the city, and one of the leaders has just been stoned. But where do we find them? We find them standing by Paul. Verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him. I think that's very interesting. Now, considering the fact that they'd only just received the message, they'd only just got saved themselves, this is a remarkable thing. They don't desert and go away and go and hide. They go and stand with Paul. They're there by Paul. They haven't turned back for fear of persecution. They're standing by Paul even after he's stoned. They remain consistent to the faith, don't they? And as they stand around Paul, 
We're told that Paul rises up and he comes back into the city. It says, How be it as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. You know, no doubt as they're standing around Paul, they were standing around him praying. They were praying that God would restore Paul to life, that God would do a miracle. And God answered their prayer, and Paul is raised up. Now the question might be asked, was Paul dead? Well, we're not told, are we? We're not clearly told here. The people of the city, they supposed him to be dead. They thought he was dead. We're not told clearly whether he's dead or not. You know, whether he was raised back to life or whether he was simply healed, it doesn't matter. God worked a miracle, didn't he? God works a miracle here. Because Paul rises up and he has the strength. He's just been stoned and left for dead. He has the strength now to go back into the city and then he leaves the next day with Barnabas and travels to Derby to continue the work. Verse 20 and 21, it says, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many... They returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. You know, God had evidently restored him to health because Paul has the strength to immediately go back to the work. He goes back to the city and the very next day he leaves, goes to Derby and he preaches and teaches. And then he restarts his return journey. God worked a miracle. God restored him back to health. You know, Paul didn't let it slow him down, did he? He still didn't become discouraged in the work. He still pressed on serving the Lord. You know, from this point on, we see Paul and Barnabas now begin a return journey. They return and they begin to visit each of the cities that they've been chased out of. It says there in verse 21 that they return again to Lystra, where he's just been stoned, to Iconium, where they wanted to stone him, and they go back to Antioch as well. They start a return journey. And they go back to each of these cities. Why? To confirm the believers in the truth of God's word. You know, looking back at each of the cities that they went to and looking at the events that occurred in each of these cities along the way, you know, one thing is clear. And that is that Paul and Barnabas, they knew what God's will was for their life. You know, they weren't doing this on a whim, were they? They weren't just doing this because they felt like it. They knew what God's will was for their life, and that meant that they weren't going to let anything stop them. It didn't matter how much opposition came, to, came against them, nothing was going to stop them from fulfilling the work of the Lord. Now, when the message was rejected, they didn't become discouraged and quit. Rather, they continued on. They just redirected to a new city, to a new congregation, or a new group of people. You know, they also, we, we see, tailored the message, didn't they? They tailored the gospel message according to the crowd that they were preaching to. When it was the Jews, they presented the gospel by laying the foundation in the Old Testament. When it was the Gentiles, they started by pointing to God in creation. You know, the message was always the same. Christ is the answer. Christ is the only way of salvation. You know, beloved, we need to learn from the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. We need to learn that likewise, 
We need to continue on in the work of the Lord no matter what opposition comes our way. You see, God has us here in, a, in this place to serve Him, doesn't He? In this city, in this location to minister for Him. So no matter how much rejection we may face, how much it seems like at times the gospel is going nowhere, we need to keep on faithfully serving Him, don't we? Can't give up, can't become despaired at the rejection. But instead count it a privilege to suffer with Christ. Count it a privilege to serve Him. You know, we must also ask God for wisdom so that we might respond to people in the right way, so that we might, if you like, tailor the message according to the people that we're ministering to. You know, we always need to present the truth that Christ is the answer. You know, Romans 10 verse 17, as we read earlier, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's be faithful. Continue the work. Come out of the rejection and preach the word of God. Let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and Barnabas and this first missionary journey. Lord, along the way, we've seen the minister in various places, in various ways, tailoring the message according to the crowd they're preaching to. Lord, they faced rejection, they faced opposition, but Lord, they continued on in the work. And Lord, you were honored, you were glorified through it all. Lord, I pray you would help each of us to know your will for our own lives and to know your will for this church and may we continue to faithfully serve you no matter the rejection, no matter the opposition but keep on faithfully plodding on for you and serving you and preaching the gospel. Be blessed as we close now in Jesus' name.